Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'm going to talk about three reasons it is difficult to connect with your child and how to counteract the culture. So sometimes we have to counteract the culture. Um, A few attendees of one of my workshops asked me to talk about spirituality and kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes, and I couldn't touch on this subject without talking about the culture. Our culture directs us on a daily basis, and our adoptive and foster kids and our kids with a capital letter syndrome, they have a culture in their brain, like they have And let me just start with the definition of culture. The customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. And each culture has its own rules of the way things are done, the the things that they say, the way they behave on a daily basis, the lens that they look through to view the world, And that's why it's so important, because when our kiddos come to us through foster care or adoption, they may have come from a culture of neglect, or they may have come from a culture of abuse, or they may have come through from a culture of just yelling and screaming and or maybe lack. There are so many different things in our culture that we have to examine and pay attention to and why we have to counteract some of that culture and some of the culture we obviously are going to embrace and say, hey, I need to participate in this. This is good. But when we think about those things that I just mentioned, And I will add to it, you know, kiddos with capital letter syndromes and how they feel ousted by the culture, like they don't fit in with the culture. This is one of the reasons that we have to talk about this because sometimes the culture is against you. The culture requires you to meet ridiculous standards to fit in and your child feels the shame and guilt for being feeling they feel like they're wrong because they're different. And let me 
dig into that a little bit. Have you noticed that dysregulation from children is much less tolerated today in society? Okay, so my daughter and I, we went to Ikea one afternoon with two of my grandsons, who were five and who one of them was almost two at the time. We'd already had a two-hour car ride. We had two doctor's appointments. That's why we were in Pittsburgh. And the kiddos had regulated, and these are neurotypical kids. They had regulated extremely well. Then we got to Ikea. We made sure we ate first so the kiddos had some nutrition, well, pseudo-nutrition, so that they could, we could then begin our child-led tour, meaning we stopped at all the rooms with kids' toys. And then without warning, the youngest, he just like hit the wall. He hit his limit. He began melting down. Nothing we could do comforted him. Of course, being experienced in dysregulation, (laughs) And knowing there was a need behind the behavior, we knew that he just needed a nap. We, he, we tried the snack, we tried the drink, we tried everything. Nothing was working. But if you've ever been in an Ikea, you know that you can't just exit the store. It's this labyrinth and you're not allowed to escape until you look at every single product in the store. So that's where we were. And it was kind of slow going. We were trying to escape. And then he just hit the wall harder. He just began to wail. I mean, wail. But my daughter and I, you know, we were just calm. We knew what was going on. There was nothing we could do except get the place, get to a place where the child could take a nap, which was the car. So while we're on our way out, we are having this conversation about something, organizational something her husband wanted her to look for, and she even FaceTimed with them, and there's, there's the two-year-old, the almost two-year-old, still wailing. But here's the thing. You know, we were fine with it. We knew what was going on. But here's the thing. The stares, you know, that we could feel the judgment permeating from other people. And the tension was so real. But when we made it to the van, we both remarked, has has no one ever seen a tired toddler before? And just so you know, he was asleep in his car seat before we made it to the Starbucks, which was only 60 seconds away. And again, let me just be clear. This This is a neurotypical kid. So what about kiddos with capital letter syndromes who are neurodivergent or kiddos with trauma histories who can't regulate in public or kiddos who have coping mechanisms that aren't socially acceptable such as walking in circles tapping a pencil or talking about a special interest when everybody else wants to talk about something else I've had experience with all of the above and more but you know what happens when kiddos are shamed or judged for who they are in public, then that child feels more guilt and shame on top of what they already have. And that child may shut down, maybe not want to go in public. I don't want to go to that event again. I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't want to go to church anymore. Because they don't feel accepted for who they are. And that's why I say sometimes... 
We need to counteract the culture when it's against you. And as parents, we need to be protectors of our children. And by that, I don't mean go yell at everybody. By that, I mean you help them with their coping mechanisms. You find out what they can handle, what they can't. There are still going to be times when a two-year-old is crying and screaming in Ikea, whether they're neurotypical or not. And if you feel like people are staring at you and you need to give them a reason, like my daughter said, my daughter Audrey, when she was on the podcast, sometimes I just, you know, kind of shout out, he's on the spectrum or he's autistic. And if you feel like you need to give that because you don't want them to think you're kidnapping a child or something, then go ahead and do that. But if you don't feel like you need to say anything, protect your child. And by that I mean don't start yelling at them by saying, you better behave or I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to drag you out of here or you're not going to get ice cream later or all of those things that don't work with kids with capital letter syndromes and trauma histories because they don't get cause and effect. So promising them that they're going to get a reward doesn't always work. Oftentimes it doesn't. So, moving on. Number two, time is against you. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just pointing out some things you already know and giving you some suggestions or some tips that have helped me. Now, time is against you. This goes back to the culture. We live in a very hurried pace. And often we parents feel as if we have to do it all. If we don't do it all, even at church, we are guilted and shamed and judged. Meanwhile, the hurry worry pace kills the connection with our kiddos. I almost said peace. <laughs> like, no. The hurry, worry, pace kills the connection with kiddos. It's very difficult to connect with kiddos or your spouse or anybody when you're in that hurry, worry state, when you feel anxious and overwrought. Okay? Hurry sickness is very common these days. And I first heard of the term years ago when, when I was really studying and looking into, like, I need a more rest-based lifestyle. We need a more rest-based pace in our family. And Rosman calls hurry sickness. Hurry sickness coined in their 1985 book, Type A Behavior and Your Heart, is in an actual medical condition, but it is known as a sense of excessive time urgency. You may constantly feel rushed or anxious and having a feeling of urgency to get things done when there's no need. That's from psychcentral.com. So I wanted to look up, like, where did that word come from? So that, that term was coined in 1985, a long time ago. But here's the important thing. Even though I like to know about where the word came from, or where the phrase came from. But when we let the hurried pace of the culture dictate our lives, we will feel rushed and anxious. Kiddos who already struggle with anxiety issues will feel it more. 
Listen, it's okay to stay home. It's okay not to do everything. Time is a precious commodity. If we are spending the majority of our time recovering from events before we go to the next one, this is insanity. I lived in that insane loop for years. We'd go to a practice or church or fill in the blank, and then my kiddos would need a few days to recover before the next event. And as a homeschooling mom, this made the days of school long and full of meltdowns. Some days kids would intermittently melt down for the whole day and learn nothing. I've spoke of the hangover Mondays before on the website and on this podcast. And this is why, because Sundays are not really a day of rest for Christian families or for most families, especially if you attend Sunday school and church and then maybe a sporting event in the afternoon and evening service and possibly lunch out. I'm not saying that church is the problem, but as parents, we need to make the best decisions for our family, especially our children who have a Monday hangover from Sunday activities. The expectation may be that you have to be here, you have to be there, but the reality is that you and your kiddo must pay for it. So count the cost, whether it is church or sports or outings. And another thing that helps with these this kind of hurry-worry pace, I did a whole series on practical tips to alleviate decision fatigue and to have more peace and power in your parenting. And these practical tips are just simple things like other than having a schedule, having writing out the distinct little events that have to happen in order for that schedule to work. And I share a lot more about on those episodes You know, and one of the things is like picking your child's clothes out for the whole week. That will avoid that hurry, anxious thing in the morning when you're getting them ready for school or going to a doctor's appointment or whatever you're doing that day if you already have the clothes picked out, if you already have a meal plan. And yes, these things take a lot of work, but this kind of proactive, practical tips make your days a lot easier for the things that you have to do that you can't opt out of, even if you know that that child has to, you know, they have to go to therapy, but afterwards you know there's going to be a meltdown or there's going to be a day of recovery time. Using those practical tips, and I'll link these in the show notes, will make it so much easier for the rest of your day to go somewhat smoothly. I'm not promising completely smooth. Okay, and then number three. Your past parenting is against you or simply your past. Often that can be the case. When our past is parenting our children, we bring all of our trauma, our triggers, and our shame into the interactions. We parent through our attachment style. So if you want to know more about your trauma, you can take the ACEs quiz, which I have linked in the show notes. 
But I'm going to get just, if you've never heard that adults have attachment styles and they are a little bit different than the attachment styles that children have, I'm going to read through the definitions and all of these are in my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. So free autonomous. A secure attachment style is characterized by a valuing of relationships as well as a flexibility and objectivity when speaking about relationships. Secure parents exhibit a coherent integration of past, present, and future. As a result, they are most capable of being fully present with their children in the moment. Now, like I said, this is all in my book, How to Have Peace When Your Kids Are in Chaos. If you're like, hey, listen, I want to study these and figure out which one I am. I want to take that ACEs quiz. I want to do all of these things because I don't want my past to be against me. I want to counteract the culture of my past and be present, which I always say In order to parent well, we have to make sense of and peace with our past so that we can be fully present with our children in the moment. And I'm going to read you a quote from Nurturing Adoptions. The striking information about this category is that the individual's life narrative demonstrates an internal consistency that governs her external behaviors i.e. her later behaviors towards a child. Even if she has a background of maltreatment, her narrative demonstrates resolutions resulting in resolved, sensitive behaviors towards her infant and children. So what does that mean? That means that we can start out in an attachment style as a child that could be disorganized, avoidant, dismissive, it can be something different than what we are using as our attachment style now. And that is called earned secure. We can get into the free, autonomous, secure attachment style by earning it, by making sense of and peace with our past and parenting differently than we were parented, changing our belief system reframing our beliefs, making sense of and peace with our past. That's what it means. So if you're listening, because I gave that one first, because that's what we're aiming for. And that doesn't mean you're always going to be when you earn that secure attachment doesn't mean you're always going to be acting in it. We can regress when we're stressed, we regress, we regress. But I wanted to share that first because I know if you're listening and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know I had an attachment style as an adult. I didn't know what mine is. And you're going to hear the other ones and attach yourself to one of them. I wanted you to to listen to the free autonomous secure. You can earn that. You can work on that. You can make sense of and peace with your past. That's what you're aiming for. I wanted to share that one first. Okay, now I'm going to move on. To another one, dismissing. Those with a dismissing attachment style are marked by an early life dominated by parental emotional unavailability and rejection. 
Dismissing parents often have less sensitivity to their child's signals, and a sense of independence is generally paramount to these adults. So that's why I said these are the adult attachment styles. You might be like, I'm just so independent. You're never going to touch me. I'm going to do it my way. Because you had that early life that was, you didn't have this parent who was emotionally available to you. And they were not sensitive to your feelings or your signals. Dismissing parents are often disconnected from intimacy and perhaps even from the emotional and physical signals of their own bodies. They minimize emotional vulnerability and dependence on others. And here's something very interesting. These parents often cannot recall or claim not to recall details about their childhood and cannot provide detailed examples. They are emotionally distant and predominantly processed with the left brain. The right brain is shut off or limited. So it's like if you're th- if maybe you're like talking to your spouse about these attachment styles and like we got to figure out what ours is so we can move to earn secure and you say, "Hey, can you share a memory from your childhood?" And they give you a very general, or I've heard this before, I had a good childhood. Why you ask me about that? I had a really good childhood. Well, can you share a memory? And if they say, well, you know, we, we went to a cabin every summer. Okay, well, tell me what happened. And then they can't give you any specific story. And it's just like, that's just what we did. And I'm not saying every person, but I'm saying that these parents often can't recall details about their childhood so if that's you and you're trying to figure that one out maybe if you can't recall those details or you felt like you weren't heard or seen as a child and you're parenting that way this is the time to say I am going to counteract the culture that I was raised in okay entangled An entangled attachment style is characterized by anxiety, uncertainty, and ambivalence. These parents are often overwhelmed by doubts and fears about relying on others, and their personal narratives are often overly lengthy and filled with anecdotes revealing how leftover issues from the past continue to enter the present and derail them from discussing the topic at hand. Okay, so you may have encountered someone like this. If this is not you, you've probably encountered something when you're trying to have just a general conversation about how great the apple pie is and suddenly the person you're talking to says, well, when I was a kid and we had apples in the Seller, we weren't allowed to eat the nice, yummy, good ones. We had to eat the rotten ones because Aunt So-and-so said, you know, they go to, and it's lengthy and it's filled with all of these leftover issues. And now you can't enjoy your pie. And if you are that person, you're like, oh my goodness, I am that person. It's okay. This is the time where you can say, you know what? 
I'm going to counteract the culture I was raised in, and I'm going to start working on earn secure. So these parents have emotionally clouded interactions with their children. They are unable to be fully present and connect with their children. And I have experience with people like this without giving any real details where we're trying to have a conversation about our family and it's suddenly all the things that happened to them as a child. Like, I was just trying to ask who Aunt Josephine was and how she was related to me and now we're going down your traumatic childhood memories. And if you're seeing yourself in each one of these, we can have a little bit of each one of these, especially different seasons in our life of how we're parenting, whether we're under stress or whether we're just having like a really good season in our life and we're like feeling like we're proactive parents and um, we are present for our children. Got to take a drink here. Getting a frog in my throat. <clears throat> All right, so... The last one, unresolved, disorganized. A disorganized attachment style is characterized by unresolved trauma that appears to cause abrupt shift in a parent's state of mind in such a way that it is alarming and disorienting to the child. These parents often lose coherence in telling aspects of their life story. They are predisposed to lose the capacity to be flexible under certain conditions, particularly those related to their own traumas or loss. That is why I say over and over again, we have to make sense of and peace with our past. Because if our past is parenting and we are unresolved and disorganized in our attachment style, then there are certain conditions that just paralyze us. And we are triggered by somebody else's trauma, our kiddos' trauma, and we, we freeze or we overreact. And then our kids are disoriented. They're afraid. They're like, what happened? You know, and I use the example of just like if you just... Maybe something in your past, you spilled your drink at the table and somebody went ballistic and it got violent. And so now when somebody, one of your kiddos spills their drink at the table, you're like, all of a sudden you were this nice, peaceful person and the drink goes over and you jump up and how could you do that? You know, so we have to, that's why it's important for us to counteract these cultures that we were raised in and I'm not saying that you're supposed to go line up your aunts and uncles and your mom and dad and your grandma, everybody that contributed to your parenting and say, this is what you did wrong. That's not what I'm talking about at all. In fact, that's going to really backfire on you. What I'm saying is you personally take ownership of your story and say, these are the things that contributed to me being disorganized in attachment, unresolved in attachment. Get some therapy if you need it. Start journaling or doing whatever you need to do to begin to make peace with. Does making peace with your past, I want to clarify this. 
Making peace with your past doesn't mean that the, the people that hurt you were right. What it means is that you were stepping out of that past into the present and saying, that happened to me. It was awful. It really stunk. It was terrible. That, was, that violence perpetrated against me was totally wrong. But right now, I need to parent my children, so I need to move forward. Okay. Parents with an unresolved or disorganized attachment style are prone to frighten their children because they lack an organized way to process stressful situations. So if that's you... And as soon as you get into a stressful situation, like you freeze, you can't process it, or you start fighting and you're yelling and you're angry and you're like, I don't want to be this parent. And that's why we have to get help with this. And sometimes the help is finding a therapist or a support group or someone that you can confide in and say, will you help me? have a plan of action when I get overwrought and then you can act on autopilot once you learn those. In fact, my daughter Audrey, who was on the podcast, and we were talking about that when you use the instead of tips, you're separating yourself emotionally for that moment and just relying on the tip to do the work. Like, instead of a lecture, use simple language, 8 to 12 words. Well, that's the tip. And now you're overwrought. You're like, oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Sorry. Didn't mean to say that. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how to handle this. I'm going to start yelling. I am going to lose my temper. I'm going to sit this child down and give them a lecture that lasts 45 minutes. Just know the instead of tip says... Instead of a lecture, use simple language. So I'm going to use simple language right now. And I'm going to say whatever you need to say. That's not, that was not respectful. Try again. Or whatever you need to say. Or if you need to, say that and then remove yourself from the situation until you can calm down. Even if that means going in the bathroom for a minute. Okay? Um, I'm going to finish up with this. Remember, if you are stuck in your emotional and relational trauma, you can't help your kid get unstuck from his. In an article about the four styles of adult detachment for the Evergreen Psychotherapy Center, Dr. Terry Levy explains, attachment patterns are passed down from one generation to the next. Children learn how to connect from parents and caregivers, and they, in turn, teach the next generation. Your attachment history plays a crucial role in determining how you relate in adult romantic relationships and how you relate to your children. However, it is not what happened to you as a child that matters most. It is how you deal with it. Many people go from victim to overcomer. 
So I know that I started this article as like talking about the culture and counteracting the culture and you can do it and you can counteract the culture that you were raised in. You can go from a victim to an overcomer and so can your children. And that's why I'm talking about this. The change begins with us. The change that we desire for our children begins with us. If you're willing to piece together our stories, if we are willing to piece together our stories and see the relationship between what happened then and what's happening now, we get to make choices about what happens next. That's from Tell Me a Story. It is difficult to make choices in the heat of the moment. That is why it is important to take some time, revisit our past, make sense of it, and begin healing. While we are healing, we can put some proactive responses into place. In other words, you can decide how you're going to respond ahead of time. That's why I talked about the instead of tips. If you learn some parenting tips and tools and you just start using them and separating your emotions from them. So, for example, if you know that when your child steals candy out of the secret stash, it triggers a memory of you and how your Aunt Verna whipping you with the switch until your behind was raw, you develop a pre-planned go-to response. If you steal candy from the candy jar, then you don't get any after dinner. I don't know. You have to watch with the cause and effect thinking. You have to have a redo or something to replace that. So separate yourself from the situation. Avoid saying things like, if I had done that, my mother would have. Instead, tend to the situation at hand logically. The child took the candy. Therefore, he can't have any after dinner or whatever you decide is a natural consequence. Or that, you know, the next time that you have the candy jar out and you're passing it around, then that child doesn't get candy or whatever you decide. I'm not telling you what to decide. So I'm going to finish this up. So the whole premise of this was three reasons it's difficult to connect with your child and how to counteract the culture. And we're counteracting the culture that our, the culture around us that requires us to meet certain and ridiculous standards. And then we're counteracting the culture of hurry and worry. And then we are also counteracting our past culture. And we have to be careful that our past is not parenting our children. So thanks for joining me today. I hope this one was helpful. I know it was a lot of meat. And like I said, there's a whole chapter on this in how to have peace when your kids are in chaos. And I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe 
to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.